Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. What keeps you up at night, small business owners? You mean besides like the cats in the bed and <laughs> and my partner snoring? Hey. And, and my own snoring too, I guess. I have to fault myself for that. But... I, I think we're trying to talk about business here, Richard. Oh, thanks for reminding me. Yeah, I mean, as a business owner, I have lots of things that I worry about. HR issues, relationships among the staff, and I worry about money. So I think if you're a small business owner, you always have something on on your mind. Like Tony Robbins once said, I have a billion dollar company. I can pick up my cell phone at any minute and something somewhere is going wrong. I'd like to welcome tonight Brian Morin, who has a fantastic program for helping small business owners. He's been a coach and a celebrity for many, many years. And he's also in the process of starting a website to help small business owners sleep better at night, right? We're selling mattresses. <laughs> I spent uh, the last 30 years in the small to mid-sized business market, publishing magazines and newspapers for business owners. I might be the only person in America who's been at Success Magazine, Entrepreneur Magazine, Inc. Magazine, and the Wall Street Journal. That's a lot of success. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just a, a lot of moving around. But uh, And then I have my own publishing company, and we published uh, a number of magazines, including the SBA's national magazine for about nine years. So I learned a ton about mistakes that business owners make, and I learned about how some are successful while many fail. So I turned that into a company, Brian Moran and Associates, which we started in 2012. And we do two things. We help business owners run better companies, and we help marketers do a better job of marketing to the SMB space. So what are some of the types of things that small business owners typically stress out about? There's a simple answer to that, and it's fear of the unknown. And the overwhelming majority of business owners, including your listeners right now, operate in the weeds of their business, meaning that they can see three to five feet in front of them. And they don't know what's coming down the pike. They don't know what next month or three months or six months is going to bring to them. And it scares them and they don't know why. And so a lot of times I'll tell them, just climb up to about 10,000 feet and see the same fires that you keep putting out every single day. You'll find the root cause of those fires and see where you've been in your business, where you are now, but more importantly, where you can go with your business. You can't see that when you're in the weeds of the business. You can see it when you're in the clouds of your business. So what kinds of things would typically be the kinds of fires that small business owners are dealing with? That's a great question. I do a lot of seminars, a lot of speaking and workshops around the country. And one of the questions I ask the audience is, how do you wake up in the morning? There are three types of business owners that wake up in the morning. There are the reactive kinds, they're the proactive kind, and then there's the predictive kind, a business owner. And everyone will say, oh, I'm proactive. I get up and I jump out of bed and I make things happen. Okay, great, great. Until you read that first email. <laughs> right, before your feet even hit the floor. And then, you know, I even have some people who say I'm predictive. To give you a sense of the audience, um, about 85% of business owners are what I call reactive. 14% are proactive. 1% at the most are predictive. And this is my own measurement, so you're not going to find this in any major research, but I'm pretty sure it's close to being accurate. And so here's what I mean by being reactive. You wake up in the morning, and before your feet hit the floor, you look at your phone, and uh, 
I got another problem with the same employee or the same customer who's giving me excuses about why they're not paying my bill, but it's the same problem. And you keep putting it out day after day after day. And what that does is that slows you down from where you want to go with your company. And you just don't identify the root cause of that fire. And if you did, you would say, I'm going to fire that employee. I'm going to fire that customer, or I'm going to change the way we do business so that I don't have to deal with this anymore. So most people pick up their phone and they respond to the world. They say, the world is giving me problem after problem after problem, or maybe even opportunity, and I'm responding to it. That's the reactive person. Let me tell you about the proactive people. The proactive people have put together a plan the night before. They know here are the urgent things I need to take care of, the important things, the everyday and the non-essential. And what they do is they delegate the non-essential and everyday things, and they focus on the urgent and the important. And they start with the urgent, and they start with the biggest things. And they don't let these interruptions get in their way. I call those time robbers. Everybody has the same amount of time. So why is one company so much more successful than everybody else? Because they manage their time. They treat it like it's the most precious commodity that they have. And they're proactive in their business. They say, I'm charged with getting this done and nothing is going to get in my way unless it's something even more urgent than what I'm working on right now. So if somebody calls you, a friend from high school, anybody in your family except for your mother, because my mother's probably <laughs> listening to this, and I, I can't say think she's calling that. now, by the way. <laughs> right, right, right. Ma, you need I will to take talk your with more call. people is what she's saying. I will take your call, Mom. But what you got to say to them is, you know what? I can call you back at the end of the day, or I'll call you on my ride home, or I'll, and you write it down because you want to get back to them. Otherwise, they're going to call you the next day at the same time and say, hey, you forgot to call me. But it's all about focus focus, time management, and that's the difference between a reactive person and a proactive person. And now you're going to say, well, what's a predictive person? A predictive person is somebody, it's rarefied air. I really think that these people, it's, it's innate. They're born with this talent, and they just see things that other people don't see, and they see the future. It's like Jeff Bezos, you know, Amazon. You know, he saw what the potential of Amazon could be, or it's a Bill Gates. Not only did they see what they could be six months, a year from now, but they can see what they're going to be 10 years from now. And they predict it, and they never take their foot off the pedal. I wouldn't focus on trying to be a predictive business owner. I'd focus on trying to become a proactive business owner. When you start your business, one other question I ask is, what type of business owner are you? And they say, I say, you know, you can either be a small business owner or an entrepreneur. I start with that. And everybody in the audience says, oh, we're entrepreneurs. That's why we're here. We're entrepreneurs. Okay. So we use those words interchangeably as if an entrepreneur is a small business owner and vice versa. And it couldn't be further from the truth. At one end is a small business owner. And at the other end of the spectrum is the entrepreneur. In the middle of it, those two terms is someone I call a passionate business owner. So visualize that. You have three cars that are going down the road to success. In one car is a small business owner, and another car is a passionate business owner, and the third car, probably a, a Porsche or a Ferrari, is the <laughs> entrepreneur. So what is the difference then between the business owner and the entrepreneur? On the road to success, you come to forks in the road, right? You can either go left or you can go right, but you can't go straight. And a fork in the road is something like opening a new location, launching a new product or service, hiring employees, taking outside investment, buying technology for your business. And these are major decisions. Most of the time, small business owners will go left, almost all the time. 
they'll say, I don't need new equipment. This works just fine. I don't need to hire more employees. That's just taking money out of my pocket. They view all of these forks in the road as if these purchases are expenses. It's right. money coming out of my pocket. Rather than investments. And that's how an entrepreneur will look at it. Okay, I'm a small company now, but in three years, I want to be a much larger company. And so most of the time, they won't make a mistake when it comes to a fork in the road. It's the passionate business owner that I worry about. So a passionate business owner is somebody, let's say, a yoga instructor or a chef, and they're phenomenal at what they do. And everybody says, you should start your own yoga studio, your own restaurant. And they do. And they're incredibly successful and they love what they do. And then somebody says, you should open up another studio closer to me because there's always a wait list or there's always a wait list for your restaurant. And so they do. And they don't think of the long-term ramifications of this decision. And invariably, I'll, I'll hear people say, it was the worst mistake I ever made. I can't get out of this lease. I, I, I bought all this equipment. It was a mistake. I wish I had thought about it. And, you know, in hindsight, I would have just taken what I had. We had some growing pains recently. And it's really hard when you're trying to grow. I mean, we were trying, I think we always try to be the entrepreneur and not the small business so much. We always try different things like this radio show, for instance. But what happens when you hire the wrong people? Like you have to delegate if you're growing, right? What happens if you hire the wrong people and things start to go in a way you don't want? You fire them. <laughs> well, that's hard to do, you know? No, no. It, it, so yes and no. I've fired people in my life, in my career, and I've hired people. And the one thing I'll do when I'm letting people go is I will always try and help them as much as I possibly can if they want my help. It's not working out here. Here's why. Here's the things that you can do to improve. I'm happy to make referrals for you. But in the end, this is your company. It's your blood, sweat, and tears. And you have a mission. One of the other things we talk about with business owners is I'll say, what's your strategic goal? They'll kind of look at me and they'll think, uh, what does he mean by that? And, <laughs> and I say, if you and I had lunch on December 31st this year, and I'm going to ask you a simple question. Did you hit your strategic goal? Usually it's a number. It's a revenue number or profit or market share, or number of new stores that you opened. It could be a couple of different things. I have about four metrics that I measure. And the answer is either yes or no. And if it's yes, great. You know, you go on to the next year. And if it's no, you examine why. And the thing is, I say, show me your GPS plan. I don't call it a business plan because a business plan is something you write for a bank or an investor. And once they say yes, you put that in a filing cabinet, never to be seen again. But a GPS plan is everything that you're going to need to do between now and the end of the year to help you hit your goal. So think of this. You have a, a smartphone. And if I tell you, uh, Richard, I want you to come over. We'll have some lunch. And you say, okay, give me your address. And you give, I give you my address. You plug it in. And your phone is going to tell you exactly where to go, how many turns it's going to take, and how long it's going to take to get there. And if there's traffic, it'll tell you to pivot. Imagine having that for your business. Boy, that sounds so awesome. Do you have one of those for us? <laughs> <laughs> 
I think you have to pay him for that. I kind of think that's how his business runs. I'm looking runs, at my phone right, right now. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic advice from Brian Moran. You're listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt. We'll be right back after this message. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gerhardt Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearHeartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And our special guest, Brian Moran. Now, if you missed the first part of this, the podcast will be out tomorrow. And Brian is like this super duper businessman who could tell you how to fix your business and make super a lot duper. of money. Super duper. That is like, yeah, that means a- highly qualified. <laughs> and help you make a lot of money. So he's going to talk now about a GPS, but not the kind you think. Right. So we've been talking about running a business, what type of business owner you are, how you wake up in the morning. Are you reactive, proactive, predictive? And all of that leads to how am I going to run my business? Where do I want to be at the end of this year? We talked a little bit about that. Well, in order to get from where you are today to where you want to be on December 31st, you need what I call a GPS plan. Now, a GPS plan is everything you're going to do, every meeting you take, every social media post you put up, every proposal you write, everything that you do between now and the end of the year should get you closer to your strategic goals. And what makes that so easy is that when opportunities come up, like somebody calls you and says, hey, I got this great idea, we should partner, or I should introduce you to this potential customer, and you can either say yes or you can say no because you're looking and saying, is that going to get me closer to my goal? If it does, I'll take the meeting. If it doesn't, I can't do that right now. Why don't we revisit that in the new year? So it's really a blueprint for making decisions. Yes. And it's time management. Because without the GPS plan, you say, yeah, I'll take that meeting. And all of a sudden, that's an hour out of your day that you're never going to get back. And you know what? I'll write that proposal. I'll, I'll go to that conference. And what the GPS plan also does is it holds you accountable. Because in your GPS plan, you say, okay, I want to do... A million dollars in sales this year. I did 700000 last year, and I, I think I can do another 300000 this year. So it's a million dollars. Okay, this is where the accountability comes in. So in your GPS plan, I'm, the first question I'm going to ask is, how much of that 700000 will you renew? Oh, you'll only renew 600000 Okay, so you need 400000 in new business. Where's it coming from? And now I want to see accounts, target accounts that you're going after, or ways that you plan on bringing that revenue in, and then we're going to break it out by month. And so we're going to look January through December, and we're going to create milestones for your business. And every month, I'm going to hold you accountable. Did you hit your January goals? Did you hit February? If not, why not? Where were the time robbers in your GPS plan that took you off course? 
great advice. And at Gerhardt Law, I'm happy to say that we use these kinds of tools. Mm -hmm. And when we do follow the plan, it helps a lot. And I think just the process of writing it down makes a big difference. I think having goals is one thing, but committing them to paper where you can see them and putting them in a place where you see them every day can have a tremendous impact. So we both worked in corporate, as we've said many times, and this almost sounds like you're the corporate CEO with their employee, except you're the employee of your own business. But when you work in corporate, you have your yearly goals that you have in your bonus depends on how well you do on your yearly goals. And you sit down with your supervisor and you go through them and you say, how did you do on this one? How did you do on that one? What happened? And then you have somebody who's driving that, who's structuring it for you. So you kind of take that role for business owners. Absolutely. And depending on the size of your business, you should make everybody who runs a different department do the same thing. Because in the end, it's all about accountability. Am I holding myself accountable? And for a lot of business owners, one of the best investments you can make is in a business coach or an advisor. And maybe that's a meeting once a month on a Friday morning. You go out, you get breakfast, and you bring these people in, and they have different skill sets. And so you have a lawyer and you have a financial advisor or an accountant. Maybe it's one of your key employees, and you sit down and you have breakfast and you whiteboard everything. Where are we? Where did we go last month? Where are we right now? More importantly, where do we want to be next month? And if we're off course, like we lost a big account this month and we we lost 10, 15% of our annual revenue. Okay, how are we going to replace that? And you don't want to ask that question after it's happened because here's what happens. Business changes on a dime. And when it does, it's rarely for the better. So like when you get a big client, when you win a big client, that took six, seven months, a year maybe to bring them in. When that big client leaves, that's a phone call on a Monday morning or a Friday <laughs> afternoon. Yeah. I'm sorry, we're leaving. And you think about the that sucking sound that's coming out of your business. That's the client and all of that revenue. And you look at all of the expenses that are attached to it now that you have to deal with. Don't play the what-if game after the client leaves. Ask yourself, at the beginning of the year, what if we lose our biggest client? What if we lose a star salesman? What if we get hacked? What if our building burns down? And have answers to those questions so that if and when it does happen, you break open the glass, you pull out the piece of paper, and you go, okay, building burned down, here's what we need to do. And there's so many different ways you have to have a plan B. I wanted to ask you one question, though, going back to the accountability what are some of the things that you do to hold the business owner accountable? I mean, how do you work with them in a way that they actually feel the accountability? Because, I mean, if they're just showing up and everybody's giving lip service, it doesn't really get anywhere, right? You yeah. Know? So they really have to feel like they're accountable to you. So how does that work? No skin off my nose. You want to drive your business into the ground? Keep doing what you're doing. We're all adults, and I'll show you how to succeed in business. I'll show you how to achieve your goals at the end of the year. I'll hold you accountable in a meeting where I'll say, well, you didn't hit this goal and this company left and you didn't replace that revenue. Why not? And you can give me any excuse you want, but in the end, it's still an excuse. And it's not my problem because you're the one that's going to go out of business, not me. And so I walk away and I go, you know what? I got a lot of other clients. When you go out of business, I will replace you. So, Brian, what are some of your success stories? Do you have anything you can share? Yeah, I do. I got a fun one. Uh, and, and I love giving this woman a shout out. It's a company called The Giggling Pig in Connecticut. <laughs> I love it. And um, You have to giggle when you say it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she's, a, she's a great lady. Hannah Perry. I met her. I spoke at an event in New York, and she was actually another speaker. But she's a tremendous story. Came over from England, and um, 
I think she was a nanny, but she's very artistic. And um, she had uh, a store, one store in um, in Connecticut. She opened up a second store. She was about to get into a major retail outlet. And she wanted to create an e-commerce business. She has these amazing art boxes. So Giggling Pig is an art studio for children and adults. And she has so many fun characters. Anyway, she created the um, art boxes that she wanted to send out. And, you know, she um, didn't really know, like, how it was going to work. And she said, you know, if I could do maybe 50 in the summer, that would be fantastic. And we mapped out a, a strategy for her. So she had a real good sense of what the costs were going to be. And we promoted the heck out of it on social media. And she hit, like, 30 different states. She sold something like 400 boxes over the summer. And um, she even sold a few internationally. And so I said, see what happens when you map out your strategy. But while we were doing that, I played the what if game with her and we did like an insurance checklist and we did other things because I said, what if your building burned down? Sure enough, the building that her store was in burned down. Oh, oh no. Gosh. Yeah, about three months. And, and here's how having a plan and having a plan B really helps. She got a call about three o'clock in the morning. The building's on fire. She runs down there. Oh my gosh. Now her summer camps or her camps for kids after school were starting the next morning. Well, she had a plan B. And uh, one, she had the right insurance that covered the contents of her store, which was a huge difference in what the check she got. The store across the street was for rent. She called them. She said, I need to get into your store this morning. I have school starting. She called all her employees. They came down. They went to the other location, brought half the supplies over. They spent the next five hours putting together the store. It was actually less rent money than the store across the street and better parking. And she didn't miss a single day of school. That's great. Because she, she said, this is the plan. If something like this were to happen, here's what I'm going to do. And so she's a testament to the power of a GPS plan. So how did she go from wanting to sell 50 to actually selling over 400? Like, what, what do you think was the real secret there? Social media. So she has, um, I think it's art boxes on the go, and, and she has some hashtag. And all of her students who were kids who would come in, they'd paint, they'd all post it on social media, on Instagram, mm -hmm. and they would put a hashtag with it. And so people would click on the hashtag, and all of a sudden you would see hundreds of pictures that kids posted because she said to them as you put your project together don't forget to post it and put this hashtag and we'll like it and we'll comment on it and all of the teachers did and it's brilliant and so people would see it and then they would order the art boxes the giggling pig that's an image that's going to stay with me for the rest <laughs> of the evening it's thank a, you so much brian yeah. <laughs> and coming up next we're going to have a special guest kenya gibson who's going to be talking with us about intellectual property you're listening to passage to profit with richard and elizabeth gerhardt we'll be right back after this what are entrepreneurs most valuable assets their passion and ideas we can't protect your passion but we can protect your ideas trust gerhardt law to protect your ideas with premier patent trademark and copyright services there's never been a better time to start your own business contact us at gearheartlaw.com at gearheart law we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs ideas and brands using patent trademark and copyright protection so if you have a new consumer product a new software application that you're planning to build or sell or a brand or company name that you want to protect contact the experts at gearheart law www.gearheartlaw.com don't let the wrong protections 
strategy ruin your business, all of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Hi, I'm Michael Pappas from ETFication.com, and I'm thrilled to be on Passage to Profit. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. With our special guest, Brian Moran. We just finished his segment, and i got to tell you, there is a wealth of information there. So if you missed it, the podcast is coming out tomorrow. You should listen to that podcast. But he's also going to help our pitchers who are coming up in a few minutes try to solve some problems in their company. So you should stick around for that. But now we have a special treat. We have our media maven, Kenya Gibson, who will be talking to Richard and myself and Brian about intellectual property. Hi, everyone. How are you? Welcome back, Kenya. So good to have you back. It's great to be back. (laughs) So we're back with a little bit of um, IP 101 today. And I was just kind of reading an article, and I heard that there are some common mistakes that entrepreneurs make when it comes to intellectual property. And the first one that I was reading about was just not knowing what you need. So you're using a logo, you're sending out any kind of images that represent your product or your good. How important is that to get trademarked or patented for protection? Oh, it's very important. And there's four different types of intellectual property. One, trademarks that protect brands. Second, patents that protect technology and inventions. Third is copyright, which protects artistic works and original works of expression. And the fourth category is trade secrets. So those are the four categories. If you're starting a business, chances are you're going to be having a name for your business, which is always a good idea, URL. So you want to make sure that the name of the business and the URL are available for you to use. And you want to make sure that somebody else hasn't already filed intellectual property, a trademark on those names. It can be very difficult once you get started to make a big investment in a brand and in a name and find out later that somebody else has the trademark to it and they send you a letter and they ask you to stop. And then you either have to change or you get involved in litigation. It's really good to know about those things up front and early. And if you have a new product, then a patent is the way to go. If you're writing a screenplay, writing a song, producing a movie, those are all copyrights. Knowing what type of protection you need is very important. You can usually get that information from your patent or intellectual property professional. So I was also um, reading about sometimes people underestimate or overestimate the cost of getting a patent. So how costly is it? And at what point should I be seeking help to not do this on my own? We have heard ranges from 10,000 to hundreds of thousands. (laughs) (laughs) We're more towards the 10,000, but it's around 10 to 15,000. The problem that- For a patent. For a patent. Right. The problem is there's all these different fees that come along with it. So we try to do as much flat fee as we can, but people always get surprised. They're like, oh, I didn't know I had to pay the patent office for this. Well, the patent office actually makes money instead of taking money from taxes. So- They charge fees for pretty much everything. So you really have to try to get a fee schedule and sit down with whomever's doing it. And some people have had success filing their own patents, but it's rare because there are so many tricks to it. Yeah. And the real cost for intellectual property is not just what you're paying the government or your lawyer. It's the cost of not having it. The cost of putting all of the money and time developing the business, developing the idea, paying the developers, paying the marketing people getting it out there, and then all of a sudden somebody else says, hey, that's a great idea, we're going to do the same thing, Mm. 
And they're able to go ahead and do it without making the investment that you had to make. And so while intellectual property can seem expensive, if you compare it to the revenue that you're planning to generate from your business, it's actually usually a very small percentage. And that's why intellectual property is so important because it protects your sales for years and it's an investment. It's kind of like an insurance plan. It is, yes. So nobody else can make and sell what you are making and selling in the country in which you have the patent and you can get the patent in the United States and then you can get the same patent in a whole bunch of different countries. So say you want to sell all over the world with the internet. We have a lot of clients now that patent all over the world. So it really is insurance. And sometimes, I mean, people say, well, you know, not every patent protects a commercial technology. There's a lot of patents that don't end up going anywhere. And that's true. But to a large extent, that's also a function of the business. Was the business successful? So a patent is not going to make your business successful. It's going to protect a successful business. It's a tool that you can use to make more money and protect your investment in the business. I just want to ask a little bit more about the protection piece to this. So say, for example, I have a product or an idea and I go to a business expo and I show a video or I display this product or idea in some way, shape or form, and I technically don't have a patent or any kind of protection on it, what typically happens after the fact? What can happen is if it's a public disclosure is made, if it's a trademark, it's not really a super big issue in terms of being able to get the trademark, but you wanna get it on file as quickly as possible so that somebody else doesn't say, hey, I like that name, I'm going to go use it for something else. If it's a patent, in the U.S., you have a year from the date that the patent is disclosed to file your patent application. But again, if you've made a public disclosure, you take certain risks by not having the patent on file first. So we always recommend that you have your intellectual property in place before you officially launch on your business. And I heard a little rumor that in the U.S., if you publicly disclose a product or a good, that it may prohibit you in other countries from being able to gain a patent. Yes, that's right. So the U.S. is a great place for entrepreneurs, and that's one of the reasons. From the first time you do a public disclosure, you do have a year to get your patent on file, but other countries like Europe and some others say, well, you've disclosed it, so you have no patent rights now. You can never file a patent in our country. That's a pretty big deal. I mean, the patent system was originally uh, named the Constitution of the United States because the founders felt that having a strong intellectual property system would help with the development of the economy. And so it exists even today. Uh, America has one of the strongest patent systems, and it also has one of the most innovative economies. And some people think there's a connection between the two. Very interesting. This has been great. Thank you, Kenya. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, we love having you on the show. So... You're listening to Passage to Profit on WR710 with Richard Elizabeth Gearhart, our special guest Brian Moran, and our other special guest, Kenya Gibson. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley's the Inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later, and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world. QVC, HSN, eVine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not make it you? If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com.
This is V from Crew Me Up. I listen to Passage to Profit. You'll learn a lot. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. We just had a great discussion with Brian and also with Kenya Gibson. And now it's time for the pitch portion of the show. And when you're listening to these pitches, please think about which one you like best and go to the Passage to Profit page on the Gearhart Law website and scroll down and find the poll and vote. That's Gearhart Law, G E A R H A R T L A W dot com. And while you're there, make sure you check out our website. You can learn a lot about intellectual property, patents, trademarks, copyrights. You can see past episodes of Passage to Profit. You can read the team bios. So when you vote, check out the rest of the intellectual property world on Gearheart Law. And remember, everyone gets one vote, and the voting is open for a week. So don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And remember, get your friends to vote. And just remember the name of the show by imagining you're walking down a passage with a huge pot of gold at the end. Passage to Profit. And may your passage be short and your profit be huge. Each contestant now gets two minutes followed by a discussion with our guests and the overall best vote getter gets a professionally produced video of their pitch, a $500 value. And it goes on to our YouTube channel. So let's get started. Our first pitch is by Dara Weislow. Welcome, Dara. Thank you so much, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart, for having me on this show, Passage to Profit. Uh, We developed an inclusive social location-based app to help users find locations that suit their needs. So our son was diagnosed with severe ADHD and he was then tested for autism. And so we began to research autism and we delved into learning about behaviors on the spectrum. We then realized that there's accommodations that can be made and we saw there was a gap. We have families and friends who are deaf, who have vision impairments and mobility impairments. And listening to their story, you realize how important accommodations and inclusion are, which is the main focus of the Blurb Spot app. And that closes the gap. We then began to realize that even having multiple children, we have twins, and I would take a baby into the restroom to change one baby, and my husband would come out with the other baby saying there's no changing table in the men's room. And that was so frustrating. So this app can be beneficial to families in general. And there are many establishments uh, that are aware of this need. For instance, Broadway, they offer special autism-friendly showtimes, as does AMC Theater, with dim lighting and low noise. But how can individuals find places with inclusion? Well, here's an app that's at your reach. You users can blurb and check off accommodations and features, and we can work together to find places that are most welcoming, and other establishments will begin to catch on. And it also gives users with similar needs the chance to connect with each other. Everyone deserves an opportunity to dine, to travel, to enjoy entertainment, and we had a desire to fill that need. So you can post or blurb using photos, using videos, and comment about an accommodation or feature. We encourage positive reviews. We praise locations and business establishments who have thoughtful accommodations, showing how important it is to be inclusive as possible. And this is a user-driven app. There's over 1 billion individuals with different abilities or disabilities, and everyone deserves to be included. So we want to bring more awareness to people and help build its community and make a global impact together. And that will be something to blurb about. Wow, I should say. So I remember when my cousin visited, she has a prosthesis, so you can't tell that she's missing part of one of her legs. So you wouldn't know she was handicapped to look at her, but... She has trouble on stairs, and we went to a Broadway show, and, of course, there were the million people in line for the ladies' room at the break, and the men's room didn't. (laughs) Anyway, so I said, she's handicapped. Do you have a bathroom that she can use? And they did. That just made all the difference to her, right? Yes, absolutely. It feels so good to be welcomed, to be thought of. And so your app is 
a way to let other people, maybe with similar types of disabilities, to know where all the good spots are, right? All the places where they can find extra accommodations for them that will make their life easier. Also a great way for merchants who have extra access, do special things, to kind of broadcast it a little bit and reach people that they're trying to reach. Absolutely. And there's so many accommodations that can be made, and it doesn't have to be costly. Even sensory kits to be available for guests. You can be creative. Braille menus cost about an average of $20 and you really don't, you don't need a, a lot. So do most restaurants have Braille menus or is that pretty rare? It's rare. And it's something so simple that it would be an easy accommodation to make. And I think it would be meaningful for so many people who need that. Absolutely. Is there anything in the marketplace like your app right now? There's nothing. I haven't seen anything that includes individuals with autism as well as disabilities, mobility impairments, and as well as hearing impairments. I haven't seen anything on the market. It's a phenomenal idea. And I think everybody listening knows somebody who would benefit from this app. So the question is, how do you plan to market it? Is social media a big component of your marketing plans? Yes, we're utilizing social media. We're trying to get into newspapers as well and and hopefully magazines. We're going to market it mostly with social media and um, hopefully some TV. Oh, that'd be great. So how can people find the app? Yes, well, it's available on the Google Play Store as well as the App Store, iOS. You can go to our website at www.theblurbspot, spelled with two Bs, B-L-U-R-B-B, spot.com, and that will give you um, some more information about it. Right, and is there... A fee to use the website? Do you just join up and are you a member or how does that work? It's a free app. Okay, so you said that you recently stepped out of a job to work on this full time and your husband James is helping you too. He's here. Hi, James. So what are you guys really focusing on right now? What are you working on the most? We're working on building our user base. We want people to begin to post about different places that they come across that had thoughtful accommodation. We've also recently learned about WCAG compliance for the app so that those with a visual impairments or hearing impairments, they can go in and they'll be able to utilize the uh, the different accessibility options on their phone in order to get a, a better usage of the app for, for their disabilities. That's great. So does part of the marketing plan for this involve contacting organizations that deal with people who have disabilities and spreading the word to them? I would think they would be a very powerful voice for you. Yes, there's Autism Speaks. There's different various organizations that we hope to plan to reach out to. Brian has said that Social media is vital to pretty much every business, right? Mm -hmm. Have you guys considered using micro-influencers? We had someone on the show a while ago, and micro-influencers, I think, aren't that expensive, but they reach a lot of people. So that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. So a micro-influencer is somebody whose brand is really attached to the Mm -hmm. target audience, but they're maybe not super famous. But they do have a large circle of influence on usually social media. They're well-known in the particular community that you're trying to reach. That's a great point. I do follow a considerable amount of individuals with disabilities on Instagram, and I hope to reach out to them and for them to be able to utilize the app and to post because they have a lot of followers. And maybe if they found somebody who was kind of famous even, who had a child with a disability and pointed this out to them, maybe they would be willing to help you. I would think like Special Olympics could be a great Mm -hmm. uh, source of publicity for the app. Dara, you have intellectual property, right? Yes, yes, we have patent pending. We're happy to have patent pending with you and a trademark. Our logo is trademarked, the blurb spot. Right. And and yeah, and I I recall when uh, when Dara first came to us, 
it was almost a year ago, she was interested in having the project, and we talked about intellectual property protection, and we did a search. And so she went through the process the right way, right? So she got her IP, she got her platform built, and now she's launching. So off to a great start with a, a really great idea that I think will help a lot of people. So Brian, what's the kind of thing that you would put in her GPS, just like if you were to do a simple one off the top of your head? You know, I would say, um, how many downloads do you want by December 31st, right? And and have a target number there. I'd have maybe some kind of revenue number. I would also reach out to potential sponsors. And then on social media, I would target, let's say, five individuals that have some sort of social influence or industry influence that I'd want on board with the app and that that would be willing to lend their name. Wonderful idea, really wonderful app for people. People don't realize how hard it is for some people to get around and do things and this helps. So you are listening to Passage to Profit on WR710 with Richard Elizabeth Gerhardt and our special guest, Brian Moran. And we will be right back. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit gearheartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Hi, my name is Priscilla Carmona from Scores, and I loved being on Passage to Profit. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Fantastic program this evening, and we're on to our final pitch now with Michael Pappas. Michael, you have two minutes. Go. My company is ETFication, and let me spell that for all you guys out there. That's ETF, standing for Exchange Traded Fund. Acation just like dedication, simplification, medication, diversification, but etfication.com. And what this company is, is financial education and an investing tool. The reason I came up with this company is because I've been seeing massive shifts in the way people are going ahead with their investing and what people have the attention span to basically consume. So I've created this to take advantages of technology and bring it to the XYZ generations. The company is really twofold. On one side, it's all of that education, So things like BuzzFeed, Investopedia, Morning Brew and the Daily Skim, all these kind of new, small, kind of easy to access information. We're going to be creating stuff that's going to help explain investing and finances for a new generation. And the other side of the business is our take on a robo-advising tool. So companies out there that are similar are Betterment, Wealthsimple, Acorn, Stash. There's a myriad of robo-advisors out there. But what our company does and how we differentiate is that we're a paper portfolio. We don't actually take your money. We'll just show you what those other robo-advisors will do, but we won't charge you based on the assets under management. So we really feel that we want to put the power back into the hands of this new generation of investors that are going to be having 
you know, money come to them, not really sure how that they should go about investing it. So we really want to empower them. And that is the tip of the iceberg. There's a million ways we could go into it. So I'm very excited to get in the conversation with any questions. That's great. So what do new investors need to know about investing? That's a, that's a big question. Uh, thank you. And I only have a 10-minute segment here. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, what I would say is that there's a big fear uh, with investors. And so what we're trying to do is to take out that fear. And so what we want to do is to create a, a big kind of repository of information that's going to be a good kind of overview of everything that you'll need to know. But if I could say one thing, it would be to invest early, to start early. You don't know what you don't know out there. If you're not taking advantage of your company's 401k match, that's something that you should be doing. The advantages of compound interest, this is something that you should be taking care of. There's some simple steps that you could take, but people feel overwhelmed with this information. So people kind of stay away from it. And we're trying to create new content and a new way for people to you know, not be afraid of it. So how do you present the information? Is it YouTube videos? Is it something you read? Absolutely. It's what I like to call the information escalator. You can kind of get on it wherever you are with your financial education. You can kind of get upskilled up. And so, yes, it is YouTube videos. We have small articles on our website, interactive. So you'll have different hyperlinks inside those articles. So somebody who is familiar with the terms can kind of read through it and, and get it at one level. Somebody who needs a little bit more education can kind of click into some of those hyperlinks. And then we intersperse that with things like memes. We'll have a, a photo on Instagram and we'll talk about an IPO and, and you know, we'll take a common popular meme and we'll inject finance into it. So we'll use a lot of humor so that somebody won't even realize that they're learning. They'll come in and say, oh, I, I remember this meme. Oh, it's an IPO. And, you know, oh, OK, this is how it relates to finance. And then we'll kind of create more assets for people than if they want to spend more time to click down further, to go refer back to the website, to see more articles, to kind of educate them on the topics that they are interested in. So, you know, it's not just here's a big textbook. It's, you know, here's a little nugget. And if you want to dig a little bit deeper, go ahead. And We have this kind of repository of information. And by way of background, I've been so excited talking about the, the product. I've been working in finance for 20 years. Uh, I've worked with top 100 of the asset managers by assets under management. I'm a chartered financial analyst. This has been kind of my career for about 20 years of my career. And I've just kind of branched off to do this for the last year because I felt that there's a gap in the market. The traditional robo-advisors that are out there aren't really you know, accessing the generation in the right way. Can you explain what a robo-advisor is? Yes, absolutely. Everybody seems to have one nowadays. And how this works is instead of paying a portfolio manager, Joe Schmo from Idaho, 2% of your money in order to go ahead and manage it for you. And by the way, the vast majority of portfolio managers lag their benchmark. So instead of paying a portfolio manager 2 and 20, which is 2% of assets under management and then 20% of uh, any profits, robo-advisors will do it automatically with math and they'll automatically trade your assets for you and charge you a compressed fee, something like 35 to 75 basis points, which is less than 1%. And they claim that they will outperform the active managers because they're charging you less fees. And over time, that's going to be the biggest benefit. Oh, that's wow. a great way to explain so, that. So statistically speaking, though, how do robo-advisors stack up against live advisors? There is a lot of information out there right now. The one thing that we know for sure is that active managers in the vast majority lose to their passive benchmarks. So something like 90% of asset managers whose only job it is is to manage your money <laughs> over the 10-year period lose to the benchmark. And there was a hugely famous bet between Warren Buffett, who was one of the all-time greatest investors of all time, and he bet $500,000 to any asset manager out there that I will beat you over a 10-year period just by investing in the S&P 500. Somebody raised his hand, took him up on it, and sure enough, it was last December, it came due, 
Warren Buffett won this million-dollar bet, donated it to charity, but it's just indicative of the fact that asset managers and their time of managing other people's money because it's a little bit archaic and hard for people to have access to the market, those times are due, the tides are changing, and information is out there for people to manage their own money themselves, and we're trying to present it in a new modern way. So what if this had been around in 2008? Because we knew some people that basically their financial advisor put their money in one of these mortgage companies and it was gone. It was a retirement. 2008 is a great year to talk about and it's incredibly pivotal for my business. 2008, two things happened. This crisis that you talked about as well as that's around the time smartphones came out. So people that are a little bit younger, they remember this. This is you know right in their memory. It's not just I'm going to go ahead and invest and I'll be fine. I have a fear of these institutions. There's no guarantee for for success. If you're invested in the market, you're obviously going to be taking on risk. So a robo-advisor is not going to take that risk out of the market. If you're invested, you know, you're taking on risk. What a robo-advisor would do is you would put your risk scale somewhere from zero through 10. And if you were on a zero, if you were on the less risky side, you would be less invested in assets that are volatile. And so you would be more invested in fixed income instruments. And so in that capacity, you would experience less of the downturn and less of the upturn. So ETF Acation has a product where you survey all the known robo-advisors out there. And then what do you do? You comment on them, you post results. Do you have your own robo-product? Actually, what our product has is the same engine as most of the other robo-advisors, but we don't take custody of your assets. We will provide the same engine and then allow you to play along in a paper portfolio and say, oh, okay, if I invest this way, then this is going to be my return. So it's gonna help educate somebody as to how am I doing to empower them to feel you know, better about their investments. And a lot of people are invested in these other robo-advisors and they don't necessarily know why or how they're doing and they have a, a fear of getting into it. Um, so this is really to take out that fear. Is there a human element to the company? On the education side, there's a very human element. We're, we're working with people to create literature to help educate people. But as far as the purely robo-advisor side of the company and the tool, that people can kind of play along with to emulate, that's based off of that same math. And so what is the revenue model for your company then? So the revenue model is a small price, a monthly recurring fee for access to the app. And then inside the app, people can have upsells. So the idea is the content side of the business is all free and outgoing there to the public. And it's kind of doubling as marketing for the company, make people feel safe about the finances. Then the app, they say, okay, I've gotten all this good advice and this is free advice and I could check it with what else is out in the market, then the app is a dollar a month for the base subscription and then you can upsell. So if you wanted to say, all right, well, I'm just looking at one portfolio, which is a risk of a five and this is how it would perform, you know, in this environment. But I'm also curious, what if I did a risk of a nine and I, I rebalanced it more frequently? How would that do? So I'm getting more interested here. They'll want to get more involved. They can pay a little bit more and get that as well. Have you thought about the college market, like bringing this to colleges and universities or even high schools? Absolutely. I think financial literacy is something that is very underserved in current situation. One of the articles actually we're writing is about comparing finance to Vegas. And, you know, we'll use kind of these types of analogies to bring in the human element so that it'll help educate people. Roulette, if you're putting it on black, that's basically a 50-50 bet. But if you bet on, you know, black 38, 
your payout is going to be a lot higher, you know, if you hit on that number. In a way, the analogies between that and the finance market are huge. And if you explain to somebody that, oh, if you invest in a stock, that's like buying, you know, black on the roulette table. But if you buy an option that's far out of the money, that's like putting it on black 38, less likely to hit. But if you do, bam, that's a lot of money. I love going back to the advice that I had always heard, which is buy low, sell high, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maybe yes. you just need a website that sells that. Yes. Yeah. It's been absolutely fantastic having you on, Michael. And what is the name of the company again? The name of the company is ETFication. The website is ETFication.com, E-T-F-I-C-A-T-I-O-N. And we hope after you make your first billion, you'll come back and invest in Passage to Profit, okay? Absolutely. All right, great. (laughs) You're listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt and our special guest this evening, Brian Moran, and we'll be right back after this message. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gerhardt Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gerhardt Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to Profit. And if you're just tuning in, well, too bad for you. But no, seriously, you can hear it tomorrow on the podcast. And everyone go to the Passage to Profit page at GearheartLaw.com, G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W, and vote for your favorite project. Brian Moran, his website is smallbusinessedge.com, and you can email him at brian at smallbusinessedge.com. Our first pitch was Dara Weislow with the Blurb Spot app, and that's Blurb, B-L-U-R-B-B, Spot app. And our second pitch was Michael Pappas with ETFication, E-T-F-I-C-A-T-I-O-N.com. And now Google Passage to Profit and make your choice. Remember, you can only vote once, and you have until next Sunday at 8 p.m. to vote. The best overall vote-getter for the show will receive a professionally produced video of their pitch, a $500 value. So before we sign off, thanks to everyone who made the trek into Tribeca. We love hearing these pitches. It's so much fun. And Brian, our special guest this evening, do you have any final words of wisdom for our audience? Ask yourself the simple questions that we talked about in the beginning of the show. What type of business owner are you? How do you wake up in the morning? Do you have a GPS plan? Great advice. What keeps you awake at night? If you didn't hear it, go back and listen to the podcast. (laughs) Uh, And we would like to thank our media maven, Kenya Gibson, our wonderful producer, Noah Fleischman, our great engineer, Rob Barretts, and the whole iHeart team. And don't forget to join us next week for another excellent speaker and another round of pitches. And listeners, you can start thinking about what your pitch will be. And don't forget to like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This is Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart from Gearhart Law on iHeart Radio, Passage to Profit, WOR 710, the voice of New York. 